I worked with Bill Stone for some time, and he was an interesting fellow, a quite argumentative guy. He was one of those people who liked to argue just to hear an argument. He would often take the side of a, a case that he didn't even agree with just to provoke an argument. That was the kind of guy he was. Pretty frustrating individual. And another thing that Bill Stone always did was, he told you after the fact something that he thought you should have known. For instance, if you went out and bought an item, within a day or two he said, oh, I could have got you that a lot cheaper. Uh, I know a guy. I could have got you that a lot cheaper. You know, he always telling you after the fact something that supposedly would have been beneficial to you. That's what he always did. Well, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We learn after the fact things that we should have known ahead of time. Uh, maybe you've been working on something. Maybe you fellows have been working on your car and you found out after the fact something that could have saved you a lot of time, maybe a lot of money, uh, but you learned it too late. It didn't do you any good when you found out about it after the fact. That's a common thing. It often happens. Unfortunately, I believe that it's also true spiritually that there are some important, vital facts that people need to know Everybody's going to realize them at some point, but it, for many it will be too late. Today in our lesson, we want to study the story of a man who learned some of these very basic, fundamental, important, eternal, spiritual facts, but he learned them too late. We want to talk this morning in our lesson about the very familiar story of the rich man and Lazarus contained in Luke chapter 16. And we're going to entitle our lesson, Five Lessons Learned Too Late. Uh, the rich man learned some things, some very essential things that we all need to know. In his case, he learned them too late. He couldn't make any needed changes when he did learn these truths. Hopefully for us, it's not too late. And we want to dwell upon five lessons all need to know. In his case, he learned them too late. And we beg that none of us will wait too late to learn and apply some very basic spiritual truths. We appreciate you for being here this morning. As Lee already said, we're grateful for the presence of everyone. We're glad for our visitors. We're thankful to God for a beautiful Lord's Day and a chance to be assembled together with His people. It's a real privilege. and We're glad that you're here to be a part of it. We draw great encouragement from you. Especially to those who are visiting or for anybody really who has been studying your Bible and you have questions and maybe have sort of hit a brick wall and you've not been able to reach a conclusion. Maybe even some things have confused you. Uh, we stand ready to assist. We're not saying we know every answer to every Bible question, but what we are saying is we're willing to search for it. And we'd be glad to help you in your study of God's Word. If you'll just say something, we'll be glad to assist. Let us know how we can help. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's talk about five lessons learned too late by the rich man in Luke chapter 16. You may want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 because we're going to be referring to it throughout our lesson this morning. You know that story of the rich man and Lazarus. Let's start out by saying one of the things that the rich man learned was that torment really exists and torment is a horrible place. Torment is real. Now that's a doctrine that a lot of people do not like. Uh, in the Bible class this morning, Anthony was saying that he'd heard of a denominational preacher who had given up on religion because this woman just simply couldn't reconcile in her mind the idea of eternal punishment from God. But the Bible clearly teaches it, although lots of people deny it. Um, U.S. News and World Report had a, had a title 
piece on this question, on the, on the reality of hell. And they said the 20th century has near, was nearly the death of hell. During the 20th century, in the last hundred years, teaching about hell has diminished tremendously among many religious people. Uh, reference a few examples. Clark Pinnock, theology professor at McMaster Divinity College, contends that a being who would cause one to suffer endlessly partakes more of the nature of the devil than of deity. In other words, he's saying if you're going to teach the idea of, of eternal punishment, that sounds more like Satan than God to him. John R. W. Stout, a, a theologian in London, well-known, um, uh, also advocated against eternal punishment. Philip Hughes, an Anglican clergyman, argued that the rebellious will simply go out of existence, ultimately. Now, those are, those are denominationalists, obviously. What about some in the churches of Christ? Edward Fudge authored a book titled, The Fire That Consumes. He said people will not suffer eternally, they'll just be annihilated. F. Lagarde Smith, who is now associated with David Lipscomb College in, uh, uh, or David Lipscomb University in Nashville, has argued for annihilation. Uh, some of you may have heard of a, an author named Stephen Clark Goad. He, he wrote a piece entitled, A Believer in Heaven and Hell, A Non-Traditional View, and in it, he said, quote, Jesus spoke of eternal punishment, but he never hinted at continual torture of souls that live on and on in some state of anguish and torment. And that's just a sampling of what some are teaching. They're denying the idea of eternal punishment, torment. Now, we understand that in the case of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man went, the torment that he went to was actually in Hades. He was in torment awaiting eternal judgment from which he would sent, be sent to hell. We understand that. We're simply talking about the idea of punishment and torment for those who have not served and, and obeyed the will of God. Torment really exists, and it is a horrible place. In Luke chapter 16, here's our text. If you've got your Bibles open to that, you might look at verses 22 through 24. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, and that should be Hades, this is King James, and it says hell, but it should be Hades. In Hades he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool, me, cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. There's the very word that some people are denying. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, he was in torments. He himself said, I am tormented in this flame. Torment is a real place. Let me ask you a question, though. Do you suppose this is just a parable and is not teaching reality? The Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that. If you ever study with them, and if you bring up Luke chapter 16, they will say that's just a parable. Well, it doesn't say it's a parable, but even and it may be. This is a little different. If it's a parable, it's a little different. Jesus didn't identify it as a parable. And there's no other parable in which a man's name is given. Lazarus is named in this story. But let's grant that maybe it is a parable. Let's say it was a parable. Do you think that Jesus would be teaching a falsehood, a lie, in the course of proclaiming a parable? That's not, that's not possible, is it? Even if it is a parable, and I'm not sure it's a parable, but even if it is a parable... Jesus wouldn't be teaching something that's not real. 
No, Jesus was the one who told this story, and in telling the story, he used the word torment. Torment is a real place. In Matthew chapter 25, in the text that Jeff read for us earlier, Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 41, Jesus said this. He's describing the judgment. He says, Then shall he say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And at the end of that text, verse 46 says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Notice Jesus called it everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. To those people who are trying to claim that there will simply be annihilation for the wicked, that they will cease to exist, how does that correlate to the idea of an everlasting fire and of everlasting punishment? But here's something I think is really interesting. Jesus said the righteous will go into life eternal. Do a study sometime on these words. Everlasting, everlasting, and eternal. Now in the English, the translators here in the King James have used different words, but if you go back to the Greek, they're exactly the same word. It's eternal fire or everlasting fire. It's eternal punishment or everlasting punishment. It is life eternal. It lasts forever. However long eternal life is, is how long that fire will burn, how long the punishment will last. It's the same word. Jesus chose the words. And so we have to believe in eternal torment for the wicked. Actually, it's interesting, as we pointed out many times before, in the New Testament, by far and away, Jesus had much more to say about eternal punishment than any other person. Certainly, torment is a real place. It's horrible. It really exists. Everybody needs to realize that. Uh, and, and we hope that you will not wait too late to accept that truth. You'll realize it, but if you wait and, and are unprepared, you'll be suffering it as you realize it. Don't wait to learn about the reality of torment until too late. Another lesson that needs to be learned, the rich man learned it too late, is that wrong priorities now will produce eternal consequences later. This is a really important associated point to the one that we were just making. All of us, right now, we are choosing where we will spend eternity. Have you spent any time thinking about that? We're choosing right now, today, at this moment, we're making decisions that are going to affect where we will spend eternity. Back to our text in Luke chapter 16. Abraham said to the rich man, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Do you see what Jesus was saying? Or not Jesus, rather, in this case, Jesus quoting Abraham. Do you see what Abraham was saying uh, to the rich man? He's basically saying that where they were then was a consequence of what they had chosen to do when they were alive on earth. Uh, they were where they were as a consequence of what they had done. They had made choices. Choices have consequences. And the rich man was suffering the consequence of torment because of the decisions that he had made. As I said earlier, all of us are in the course of making decisions. We've got to realize those decisions have consequence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. I really want to emphasize to you here, it's about the things that we do in the body. 
What's it tell you? It's about what I'm doing now while I'm alive in this physical body. It's the choices and it's the actions that I'm taking right now that will determine my eternity. You and I are right now making those choices. And so we ask you, what are your priorities right now? Uh, is it about the here and now? Is it all about gratifying your desires and wishes here and now? Or have you seen the truth and made the right decision? Have you realized while you have time to make this realization that serving God is what's ultimately important? Now, before we pass from that, I, I just got to stress to you, you know, that some people imagine it's either here and now or eternity. And you can only have one or the other. If you choose for here and now, then you can't go to heaven. But if you choose for heaven, you can't have anything here and now. And I think that's the, the, the error that some people make. I believe if we choose for God, and if we choose for going to heaven, we actually have the best life here and now. Our lives are enriched. We're made better for living for God. But you've got to make that decision. If we live for God, we can be blessed now. And then we can have the great promise of heaven in eternity. But the wrong priorities will produce those terrible eternal consequences that we're warning about this morning. You've got to realize that lesson before it's too late. Another lesson that the rich man learned too late was about the importance of warning sinners about judgment and punishment that awaits them. Uh, sinners need to be warned. That is simply the truth. Some people want to tone that down. In fact, there are some people who don't want to hear any preaching that warns people about what's coming if they are not obedient. There are some people who say we should not make any effort to frighten people. We don't want to scare them into obedience, they say. They might respond out of fear rather than out of love for God. We don't want to scare anybody. Stop preaching things that might be frightening. Well, uh, what do you think Jesus was doing when he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Don't you think that he was attempting to frighten people who would go uh, into eternity unprepared? Go back to that text again, Luke 16 and verse 27. The rich man, in torment, pleads with Abraham. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. What was he saying? Well, I'm here, but I sure don't want my brothers to come here. Send Lazarus back to warn them. You must warn my brothers not to come to this place. That's what he so urgently wanted. A lot of times people speculate about what it might be like to communicate with the dead. Some people get all carried away with that sort of thing. Some people even falsely imagine that they are able to communicate with the dead. What if you could? What if you could communicate with the dead? What do you think they'd want to tell you? I want to tell you, any of the dead who've died and gone to torment would have one single message to convey to you. And that message would be, don't come here. I don't think we can communicate with the dead. But if we could, I have no doubt in my mind what they'd be telling us. Do whatever it takes to avoid this place of torment. Torment, Don't come here. Be warned about how terrible this is. That's what the rich man wanted. He wanted his brothers. Warn them. Tell them how terrible this place is. Don't let them come here. 
we were reading a minute ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where Paul said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he had done, whether it be good or bad. But notice the very next verse. In verse 11 he says, Knowing therefore, notice, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It is right to warn about the terror of the Lord and how horrible judgment will be for those who are unprepared uh, when that judgment arrives. And so we must warn. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul said to the men at Ephesus, Watch and remember, and that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was in the business of giving warnings. We need to give warnings. One of the lessons that the rich man learned too late was that sinners need to be warned. Let's not wait too late to learn that important lesson. Another lesson the rich man learned too late was that God's Word is all that you need. How many times have you heard people express the notion that, oh, I just wish we had a little more information? If we just had a little bit more information, then it'd be easier to make right decisions and do right things. You know, when you pick up the Bible, it's, it, that's a relatively small book. There are bigger books. And when you think about the information, about the, the subject matter that the Bible covers, some people think we just need to know some more. We need more. And if we had more information, we could make better choices or do things differently. Of course, the response to that is, no, that's wrong. The Bible is all that we need. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, when the rich man begged, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Do you get the idea of what Abraham responded No, they don't need any additional warning. They don't need somebody else going back and telling them they've been given the truth. Let them learn that truth and be obedient to it. Now here, in this case, Abraham had reference to the Old Testament Scriptures, right? We actually do have more information than that. We've got the New Testament revelation as well. We have all the information that we need. It's just a question of whether we'll have faith and respond in faith to the things the Scripture tells us to do. You remember 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You get the idea? We have everything that we need. What if, just think about it this way, How would we relate on human terms? If I told you something, but you wouldn't believe me without some sort of additional proof, don't you think that I'd be insulted by that? What's the matter? You don't trust me? You don't believe what I have to say? I told you this, but you won't accept it as being so unless you can have it confirmed in some extra way? What's the matter? You You don't believe me? You don't think I'm trustworthy? You don't think I'm honest? Why won't you believe what I tell you? I'd be somewhat insulted if I told you something and you wouldn't accept what I said as being true. That's how we relate as human beings to one another. Well, what about God? God has told us what lies ahead. He's told us about death and judgment. 
Some people just say, well, I wish we had a little more information about that. We don't need any more information. God told us how it is. We just need to have the faith to be obedient. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According as His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And we emphasize there that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't need anything more. The rich man learned too late that God's Word was sufficient if he had just listened to it, and if his brothers would just listen to it, it would be enough. He learned that lesson too late. Finally, let me suggest to you that a lesson that he learned too late, that unfortunately multitudes more will also realize that there's a time coming when it will be too late to repent. A time coming when it will be too late to make the decision to change your life to turn from your sins and to serve God. As you think about it, you know there are some things that maybe you neglect, but then you can fix it later. For instance, if I let my house get in a sad state of disrepair, it, it needs painting. It's been needing painting. Oh, I should have painted my house. Uh, and now, because I've been waiting so long to paint my house, maybe there's some boards that are beginning to rot. Or maybe a few pieces of siding have fallen off. But you know what? If I choose to, I go back here and I, I, can, I can fix that, right? And so maybe I've been neglecting, but I can go back and fix. But you know what? If that house is neglected long enough, it finally gets in such a sad state of disrepair, and now it's become too, too late. I can't, I've waited so long now that it just needs to be torn down. It, it's past fixing. So, what we're saying is, in lots of things, there's a window of opportunity where even if you've been negligent or not done the right thing, you can correct that. But if you wait long enough, it will get to the point where it can't be fixed. Make the application spiritually. Spiritually, maybe you've been neglecting to do the right thing. We urge you to change while there's time to change, to repent, while you still have that opportunity to repent. Because the fact of the matter is, the time's coming when it'll be too late. The rich man learned that, but he learned it when it was too late. Back to our story in Luke 16, verse 25. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Do you see what's implied there? Uh, do you see that he's saying, you're now in a situation that can't be altered. We can't come to you, you can't come to us. There's a great gulf fixed between us. These destinations are set and sealed. You're not going to be able to change your destiny now. It's too late. It was too late for the rich man to repent. As I said a moment ago, multitudes of others will be in the same predicament. They waited too late. They can't now make any change. Jesus warned in Luke 13:3. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus said, do it now. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus told of the judgment day seen. Notice he said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's lots of lessons to be drawn from these verses. We reference them very often. But I, this morning, I just want you to concentrate on the idea that in that judgment day scene, some people are going to be trying to argue their case, to plead their situation. 
it's too late, right? Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity or work lawlessly, who have not submitted to the law. Don't think that you can wait until that judgment day scene and then be able to argue your case, plead your cause, change your circumstances. Then it won't happen. It will be too late. So the rich man and Lazarus, you know that story. How often have we studied it? Plenty of times. This morning, as we study it once again, I just want you to concentrate on the idea that that the rich man learned some very important things that all of us need to learn. For him, he waited too late to come to these realizations. Are we, are you, in the process of waiting too late? Torment really exists. It's a terrible place. If you make wrong choices now, you'll pay for it later. You need to be warned about what's coming. God's Word gives you all that information that you need. Don't wait till it's too late to repent. What's your situation this morning? Are you a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to Him? If that's the case, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and pray. If you're not a Christian yet, you definitely need to make that decision to obey the Lord. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Blessed Savior, calling